Briefly, we want to let you know that you'll find the most current legislative updates at the end of this program and after the presentations. Hello, I'm Mike Walsh, your host of Vance's SoCal Military News and Views, an essential podcast for those who want to know more about the lives and needs of active duty and military veterans in Southern California. This is episode four, Team Rubicon, with Colonel James Kohler, Kevin Cothlow. This is Michael Walsh, and today we're speaking with an organization named Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon is represented today by Kevin Cothlow, the SoCal State Administrator, and James Kohler, the SoCal Saw Boss. We're going to be talking about a number of things today, but I think I'd like to start, Kevin, if you wouldn't mind. Give us a little bit of a story about who you are before you went into the military. Well, I'm, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Riverside, California, so I'm native Californian. Uh, beach guy on the weekends and uh, mountains on in the wintertime, so uh, probably had a really good life growing up. Um, Went to college, got two years into it, and decided I was missing something. So I uh, saw one of those uh, armored personnel carriers driving by uh, in one of the local parks, and I was like, hey, that looks like fun. It was a National Guard unit, so I jumped into that. Uh, Did that for two years while I was finishing college, and I actually enjoyed what I was doing with the Army National Guard so much. I went active duty with the U.S. Army. Awesome. And how long were you in the military? I did a total of 22 years, uh, two years guard, 20 years with uh, uh, active duty. Thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. James, tell us about uh, your growing up. Uh, Actually, it was much the same as Kevin, except I did it in North Dakota. And when you grew up in North Dakota, uh, you do have that, like, basically a blue-collar education, you know, church school everybody go, most people went to college that sort of thing and then while in college I found out that I didn't really want to be an English teacher and just happened by the officer selection office for the United States Marine Corps having priorly been in the guard I had a pretty good idea about the military so off I went to Quantico did uh, four years as a in the Far East and other places and then when the reduction in forces came and I had to get out of the Marine Corps, I got a job with civil service. And even then, um, lacking that community and things that I found in the service, when I found out about Team Rubicon, it just seemed like a natural fit to join a disaster response organization like Team Rubicon. So let's talk about Team Rubicon, but there are people out there that don't know what Team Rubicon is. So. Kevin, if you would, give me kind of an idea of how did Team Rubicon get started and what was its beginnings? Team Rubicon started after the 2010 uh, Haiti earthquake, just like so many other veterans that they get out, they're looking for a community, uh, they're looking to get back into the community and find a place. Everybody knows... um, the skill sets that are developed through the military and when you get out you're always looking for a way to continue your service with uh, helping people or or doing whatever drove you to get into the military in the first place this was the case with the gentleman that deployed to haiti 
Uh, it was basically eight people. Some of them knew each other. Some of them didn't. Uh, they found their way traveling to Haiti. They all met up one way or the other, and they ended up spending three weeks working in uh, Haiti, helping the uh, the Haitians recover from the uh, the earthquake that happened there. And they developed the point that there was a vacuum in the disaster response world. Uh, and our original motto was bridge the gap, and that comes from that vacuum of trying to service people that have just gone through a disaster, why government and big NGOs uh, organize themselves to react to such disasters. Mm -hmm. So James, tell me about the campfire culture that exists in Team Rubicon. In Team Rubicon, we have cultural values and service principles. And one of those cultural values we have is the campfire culture. That comes from when they were down in Haiti the first time. At the end of the day, after seeing all the things you see in disasters, especially you know broken children, fractures, that sort of thing, just like combat operations in the, in the service, you can't keep that to yourself. There's something that just, it'll eat away at you for the most part. So when they were in Haiti, there was a Jesuit brother that was there down, the, down there with them. At the end of the one of the days, they rallied up some Pacifico beers and whatnot. They were basically standing around and started talking about the day, you know, getting, getting those things you saw out in the open. So much like grief counseling, if you can speak through it, it's just better for yourself. And then that shares the experience. From that, in Haiti, our cultural, cultural, our culture has said, basically, we will have that in each one of our disaster operations. At the end of the day, we'll sit around. It's not always a campfire. Sometimes you're in a lodge. Sometimes you're in a parking lot of a Home Depot. You put a, a flashlight in a Home Depot bucket so you have the orange glow. But you sit with the people you've worked with. And especially during disaster ops in Houston, Louisiana, Texas, when you see everything that someone had in their house their whole lives, you know, generations have come through this place, and now it's in shambles because a four-foot wave went through it or a tree fell on top of it. That's emotional for those people, and you carry that emotion with you when you do that service project or during that operation. Now, for many gray shirts that haven't seen theater or been in combat operations, or the firefighters in that high drama, the police officers in their high drama, in dealing with that, we, we service that by getting around at the end of the day, having, we have what they call the two beers piece of Team Rubicon, because that's exactly how much they had for those guys down in Haiti. So you stand there with your buddies, you have a beer, you talk about your day, you decompress from all that stuff, because you're going to see the same thing the next day or the next day, or the five or seven days you're going to be down there doing that operation. So it just helps you mold your community together, that shared experience builds that sense of teamwork. And that's part of the culture that Team Rubicon uses, or part of that culture of Team Rubicon that keeps people coming back. I'll throw in two cents on top of what James said was the it's not even it's not just a way to decompress and 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 offload some of the baggage. It's also a way to to refuel. 
because a lot of the people at the campfire bring bring positive stories you know, and and something that other people haven't experienced and they tell that story there and it's just like wow that is amazing you made such an impact you know it's not just uh, you know we we rescued all these people and we put them into the hospital and things like that it mm-hmm. was you know i got a hug today you know somebody their very worst day was yesterday and we helped them take that first step and they share that story and it's like and even if you didn't experience it yourself by somebody else sharing that with you you're like wow we're making a difference i think that's another uh benefit of the campfire culture and i certainly think that the campfire culture is something that happens on operations and when Jake Wood and Clay Hunt were in Haiti doing what they were doing. There was a reason for it, but I also see it in training. I see it when we are getting together uh, in in any group because it's a reinforcement of culture, isn't it? Yes, very much so. I think it, it also brings, continues to grow community. Um, it's one of our biggest strengths as an organization that you can show up. It's your first day being a, a gray shirt. And you sit down at at the campfire, and there's going to be three or four people that sit next to you and start talking to you because you're part of the group. Right. It's it's not a, a click. Uh, you're you're not in in these these small groups. You're you're part of the team, and we're going to embrace you, and we're going to bring you in, and it makes people feel comfortable. I think that's if we don't do that, it's it's hard for people to to go through those type of experiences during the day and not feel inclusive at the end of the day. Certainly, I'm the newest person to this group, and I have to say it really is about the people that are around here. Um, it's about the people that you work with, like I shared before. The the team, strike team that I went out with, we're, we're still communicating on a regular basis, sending memes and barbs and all kinds of things over social media. And certainly it's the same with uh, the guy sitting at the table. We have a good time together. We work hard. We play hard. So it's, it's really one of the best parts to me, too, of being part of Team Rubicon. We'll also teach you how to use a chainsaw on disaster ground. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> James, do you, you know about the uh, crossing over from another country into Haiti, right? I do, I do. It, it goes to the Roman Empire when Caesar couldn't bring his armies into Rome. Uh, if they did, there was no coming back from it. So It would be immediate civil war, right? Correct. So mm-hmm. they, the military's big on culture and history. So when you cross a Rubicon, there's no really coming back. That once they crossed the river, they were fully engaged, right? Right. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. They, it's burning your boats. Mm-hmm. You can't go back because you burned your boats. Mm-hmm. So now that they've stepped into this, they felt a calling to be, develop this disaster response organization. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when you are talking to other people about Team Rubicon and you're trying to give them a sense for what Team Rubicon is all about how do you how do you help them understand Kevin my uh, my elevator pitch so to speak is a little different than most I say we're a conduit for people to get off the couch and get into action a lot of people sit there and want to armchair quarterback let's say over most recently Afghanistan the, some of the mistakes that were made there everybody has an opinion especially with social media these days 
So what what I basically communicate is like, you're sitting there, you know you can help, you don't know how to get there. Team Rubicon gives you the training, gives you the plane ticket, gives you the, the task organization to get from your couch to a disaster and help people. And you got involved with uh, Hurricane Harvey, right? Correct. Tell me what, how that was for you. What, what prompted you to jump off the couch and get in there? And, and what was your experience when you were there? Well, I actually joined in 2014, but like so many other gray shirts, I, uh, I was not active. And it, I, I joined based off of uh, a good friend telling me that I would enjoy it. It just looked like it was something I could do. But there was always, an, you know, something else going on that I just never committed to the um, to the online training and, and getting involved locally. After the 2016 election with um, Donald Trump, I and no politics involved at all in this, but I was disgusted with how I spent 22 years in the military fighting for this country or supporting its freedoms, and I watching this civil war on social media happen between people and absolutely no respect with with their conversations with their opinions and i just shook my head i was like i don't know what happened to our country and then harvey happened and i was just sitting there i was like you know what i'm going i got one of these texts uh which is basically our our activation process Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm doing this and um so i jumped online that night i took all my classes and I was on the first plane out of LAX going to um, to Houston. When you get there, what does it look like? <sighs> Embarrassingly, it was probably the best run military operation I have ever been a part of. <laughs> I was amazed at the organization. There were multiple other NGOs there. And, NGOs? Uh, national government organization. Non-government or government organizations, thank you. And um, everybody had a piece of the pie. It looked like it had been rehearsed for decades. Uh, we went through. We went through an embrief. Went through some processing. We got assigned to a particular FOB, Ford Operating Base, and we went to work the next day and stayed there for a week and uh, met some great people. And um, basically, I was exposed to a lot of culture of our organization. Very military based, but. Um, also community-based. And at that point, as they say, I drank the Kool-Aid and I was like, wow, this is a great organization. Well, when, we've, when we think about first deployments, everybody kind of defines what their experience was with Team Rubicon based on their first deployment. James, what was your first deployment and what was that like? My first deployment for Team Rubicon was also down to Harvey, and it was much the same. When, when you follow the incident command system, all those ICS forms, it's really easy to lay out uh, basically the person who's in need, what those assets are that are going to be required, how many gray shirts are going to be required. And when we say gray shirts, those are what we call Team Rubicon's members because as a in, totally inclusive organization, uh, it's just easier. It's just like calling an army guy a soldier, an airman for the Air Force, Marines are Marines. Everybody's green in the Marine Corps. Everybody's gray in Team Rubicon. Awesome. So when when I did my first deployment, like what you were talking about, Kevin, 
Um, my deployment in Team Rubicon was in Beaumont and Ghost Fleet. Um, I'm still talking to the people that I deployed with for the very first time. Uh, we're friends. We have lunch together when we're in the same town. The, the work was hard work. It was tearing out drywall. It was removing um, insulation from walls and helping these houses dry up and, and, um, and basically get ready so con construction can come in and fix them. But that's not the only work we do, and, and probably one of the reasons why we brought the SoCal Sawboss along is because something happened in 2020 and COVID hit. And I don't want to talk a lot about COVID, but I want to talk about how people responded to COVID. And one of the things that seems that we at Team Rubicon jumped into was the um, fire mitigation. So if you would, um, because you pretty much led the charge on that, give us an idea on how we connected with the state on um, fire mitigation and how we got that ball rolling. Well, we started to do a lot of work with uh, <clears throat> local VOADs and COADs, which are organizations active in disasters, and they identified a continuing problem with uh, excessive growth, uh, underbrush, things like that. In, in um, shoot, when was that? October 2018, the Santa Rosa fires hit, and I think there's just about 6,000 homes that were destroyed up there. We, start, we brought that back and was like, how do we stop from stop this from happening again and if you know anything about the santa rosa fire it's not a mountain community it's not a paradise that's surrounded by you know you're driving through the mountains and it running into people's cabins it was a a city on the ground that had embers flying in from the mountains around it and literally burned right down so it's not just saving that cabin from a potential wildfire it's saving cities and communities from a true definition it's a wildfire you can't control where it's going so with the santa rosa development we started doing uh, work in our area uh, working with the fire safe councils and trying to develop a program and find a space that we actually could assist in it is very difficult to to volunteer in in california because the state basically has enough money to pay for everything and um it, they don't embrace volunteers like a lot of other states do, volunteer policemen and uh, EMTs and things, firemen, things like that. So um, we started educating ourselves. We took classes from the National Fire Protection um, Agency, I believe, association, excuse me. And um, they gave us a really good base knowledge of what fire science is and how to prevent uh, wildfires from happening. We started working on home ignition zones. Um, I'll turn it over to James, and he can probably go into how we started training up our workforce to handle this. In Team Rubicon, we have what they call Sawyer Ones, which is a basic course in chainsaw operations. In that, in that course, uh, I will teach gray shirts basic functions of a steel MS-261 chainsaw. We have... 400 series chainsaws, and we have pole saws. We also have the steel combi system for ground clearing. We utilize that equipment in uh, taking trees out that are close to homes, anything that's overhanging a house, 
trees that are nearby, clearing up the fire ladder, which is six to eight feet up the tree or a third of the height of the tree. And then on the large grounds, you clear out up to, up to 100 feet so that the ground cover won't burn up to the house. So we had a number of operations that went on that were fire mitigation. Um, give us a kind of a picture of what it would look like when, when Team Rubicon would come in and do a fire mitigation operation, whether it was Crestwood or... Crestwood. Uh, right. Right Crestline, Crestline. Yep. Or uh, <clears throat> Upland Cut, whatever. So just like any other good, execute, well-executed operation, it, t- it starts with planning. Uh, we work with our, our, the local fire safe councils, and we identify where the most need is. Uh, we try and work um, in, with homeowners that are either elderly, um, lower income, or um, have physical issues where they can't do this work themselves. We work with the fire department. They go around. They make a assessment on ground. They tell us what needs to happen. And once we get those assessments, uh, we'll form up the assets that um, are required to execute that, that um, operation. We typically hit ground for anywhere from 8 to 12 days, uh, probably 30 to 35 people. And um, we'll go and do... Uh, access roads for fire apparatus. We'll do um, home ignition zones like James was talking about. We'll do um, 501c3s, uh, common space that is critical to the the communities, Mm -hmm. um, and basically just try and get rid of a lot of that potential undergrowth that will cause a wildfire. Uh, Remember any homeowners or any particular situations where you're able to um, conduct work and and put yourself in a or put the homeowner in a position where they were safer than when you found them? I think all of our work um, puts those homeowners in a better place than where we found them. We actually have two homeowners that, um, one here locally in Southern California in Silverado, where we did some work. And when the bonfire started in December, we did the work in October. And when the bonfire started in December 2nd, I believe, the um, fire tankers dropped um, retardant load on the stretch that we did. So to us, it was it was marked as a actually defendable space that we had created for the fire department to use. So that was visual uh, evidence that we saw. I also received a letter from a homeowner um, that stated that even though the fire had burned up to you know it stopped 600 feet away from the home, they felt much safer and knew that the work we did probably would have kept the fire from coming any further, even if it hadn't, you know, stopped 600 feet. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that work in Orange County. We're doing that work in uh, Riverside County. We're doing that work in San Diego County. Um, We're also just now building a relationship in Imperial County that I think really is the breakthrough with Imperial County was the Nyland operation, right? Can you give us a sense for what the Nyland operation was about and how we connected with Imperial County? When you think wildfire, you don't think Imperial County. Imperial County is a agricultural area. It's completely flat. Um, You just don't see what you see on TV as wildfire. The, The fire in Nyland started 
back in um, late, I think it was June 30th, 2020, and um, somebody was scrapping metal and sparked a fire in a, in a palm grove, and the winds happened to be blowing about 35 miles an hour. The fan palms caught on fire in this whole grove and threw embers through the entire city. Again, very similar to Santa Rosa, flat ground, something that you would not think that there's going to be a wildfire, and took out 41 home sites. Uh, typical, because COVID was going at the time, typically the state would have come down and executed a cleanup program. But because they were focused on COVID, uh, the state of California and Office of Emergency Service contacted us and asked if we were able to help with that. So we went down and ended up cleaning up 41 home sites. We removed 431 tons of debris over a three-week period with heavy equipment and the relationship we built with Imperial County continued to grow because they identified that danger throughout the communities and asked if there is a way we can come down there and help clean up some of that that brush that which nobody thought would have burned ended up taking out 41 homes got it now I was there Kevin you were there James you were there James what was it like on the ground in Nyland what do you remember about your experience <laughs> while visiting Nyland it was hot. <laughs> yeah, it was It was quite a bit like being back in Afghanistan and Iraq, the heat. Uh, when you can serve in those underprivileged or, you know, under the, that socioeconomic differences, um, it's just a really good feeling when you can actually go in and serve and help people that were, are less fortunate or, or hit hard times no matter how hot it was. <laughs> and, you know, getting with your fellow gray shirts and just working that hard together, it builds that sense of unity, and, and you just you work better when you have that sense of unity now you were, amongst the gray shirts. You, you were in logistics, so you remember some of the things that you were experiencing that was a little different than most places. Well, how much water did we, were we going oh, through? Oh, it was... You couldn't put enough Gatorade in the truck for how much you needed. The um, the chainsaw fuel was actually boiling in the chainsaw tanks. Holy smokes. Uh, when you have to get coolers for your chainsaws and coolers for your gas, there's there's certain things in certain places you end up doing that you never thought you would be doing this. But, yeah, the uh, the amount of water when you, when you work so hard that Gray shirts are just laying on the floor in an air-conditioned space because that's as much cool surface area as they can get. It was, it was good work. What I was really impressed with was leadership figured out right away, um, better change the battle rhythm to an earlier shift time to put people in a position where they were out of the sun when it was at peak, although we still had heavy equipment operators that were working heavy equipment and moving materials uh and if they were lucky enough to have uh an enclosure <laughs> and air conditioning they'd be okay but we also had uh guys on the ground uh hand picking steel out of the materials etc but when when we were finished what was the feedback you you received from nyland and from imperial county it, it was it was great feedback uh, we got back saying that we probably saved them approximately seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars um you know everybody forgets that government jobs are prevailing wage they have to go out to bid 
uh, we were able to get the job done. We started three and a half weeks after we were asked to come down on our first meeting. The state was estimating probably three and a half to four months before they would have gotten going because they would have had to taken it to bid. Um, these type of assets don't exist down in, in Imperial Valley, uh, so they would have had to brought in outsiders paying per diem. Uh, it would have been very costly to the local uh, government and the state. Um, people in general, I'll, let me go back a little bit. Typically when we go to like a hurricane response or something, you're exposed to people that have lost their homes and, and they're there standing next to you as we're going through and cleaning things up. And you get a lot of interaction with the homeowners. When your house has been totally destroyed, we didn't run into a lot of homeowners. They were uh, uh, located someplace else uh, while we were cleaning up. But the homeowners that were there, um, we had one particular gentleman. He was a, um, I believe, an Army veteran from the Vietnam War, uh, a medic. And he literally started crying. He's like, you have re, uh, renewed my, my sense of faith in, in the humanity because I never thought people would come out here and help me. And, you know, he was pretty much living out on an oasis. He was living by himself with his wife, and he had pretty much removed himself from society. So I think um, if there was one big win, big win out of Nyland, besides helping the community as a whole, was walking away from that gentleman saying that, you know, he was back. You know, he, he, he had love for his country and his community again. That's that's awesome. And it's also awesome to think that Imperial County, who we worked with during that entire time, uh, got an opportunity to see what we're capable of. All of that work you talked about completed in 21 days, right? Correct. Unbelievable. So we're here sitting in the Veterans Association of North County and Team Rubicon got involved in the Veterans Association of North County or Vance with a a visit from a very little woman who popped in on a Saturday in January. And I said, okay, uh, you're here to teach a class. So what's Team Rubicon? And she said, go to teamrubiconusa.org and look it up for yourself. I'm setting up a class. So off she went and Lorena set up a, uh, a class that ended up being site survey. And my very first experience with Team Rubicon was uh, Lorena. And I read about it, and interestingly enough, I was covering the front desk for Vance, and I went right into the room and said, can I take this class? And she said, of course you, you can take this class, and by the weekend, by the time the weekend's over, I want you signed up on Team Rubicon. And because I'm good at taking orders, I went ahead and did that. <laughs> I didn't see any choice in the matter. But we started getting involved uh, because of COVID. Team Rubicon started getting involved with uh, Vance for, through the uh, food distribution. And James, I know you were there for a lot of them. Uh, give a sense for folks who that didn't see the food distribution, what it was like to work here. The, uh, it actually, it, it's run quite well. The, they run the vehicles in sticks of 10 or 20, depending upon how many they have shown up. The food bank of San Diego stages uh, a wealth of staples, I guess is probably the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. uh, canned goods, canned meats, 
sometimes there's bread, sometimes there's other stuff. There always seems to be diapers. And fresh fruits and, and vegetables. fresh fruits and vegetables. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's orderly. It's, you run the sticks of cars through, left side, right side. You, you know how much you're going to give them each time. There's veterans and other you know, groups out there, active duty guys from Camp Pendleton, whomever. And it's a nice day. It's a, it's a good experience. I think we were averaging somewhere between 1,600 and 2,200 people being fed from those uh, monthly events. And it was touchless. So people that were in COVID, experiencing COVID, could basically open up their trunk. We could load their food in and send them on their way, plus diapers if they needed them. And I think when, when all was said and done, uh, we were averaging between 89 and 90% of our guests, our visitors coming through the food distribution uh, were active duty or their families, which felt great, an opportunity for us to support uh, Pendleton and its community as so many of their spouses lost jobs as COVID shut down, the bay shut down. So we found ourselves all in kind of the same situation, didn't we? Where there were things that we couldn't do, so we had to look for things that we could do. What were some of the other things that uh, Team Rubicon was doing during COVID, Kevin, that would um, that basically kept our folks active? Um, maybe not the same stuff that we were doing, but uh, you know, was intended to help the community. So we did, uh, of course, we did food pods, point of <laughs> distribution, just like the Vance does. Um, that was surprising how many people needed that throughout uh, Southern California. And it still surprises me uh, how much food was given away. Um, we also did testing sites. Um, we supported the uh, testing throughout Southern California. COVID uh, testing? COVID testing. Mm -hmm. And um, we continue to do our natural disaster response uh, for storms such as hurricanes, tornadoes uh, throughout the United States, as well as our fire response, uh, post, post fire response like in Nyland and fire mitigation uh, like we did in Idlewild and Crestline. One of the most amazing things that I heard about that Team Rubicon was doing was uh, to band together with a bunch of other volunteer organizations and be part of the solution in terms of vaccinations. So can you tell us about the vaccination program? Um, as far as our veterans mm -hmm. program, mm -hmm. um, Team Rubicon took the lead in uh, working with other uh, veteran service organizations. So we worked with um, Team Red, White, and Blue, um, what is it? Iraq, Afghanistan. IAVA. Uh, IAVA. Yep. Thank you, sir. Um, Mission Continues and uh, a few other VSOs. And basically, it was a big push to get the veterans back out into the field and uh, assist with some of these logistical administrative duties um, to relieve uh, those duties from overtasked communities so they could actually run more uh, vaccination centers. So we uh, set up a 
a window on our own um, volunteer program, whereas once one of these events started, we would advertise it on there, and it would go out to all these VSOs. And if you were interested, you could sign up on that portal and work with Team Rubicon on one of these uh, events. Weren't you out one? What was it like? The Oh, my God. I, <laughs> <laughs> I worked. Uh, the one that comes to mind is the Fontana and that was over, it was about 3,200 cars, and we worked for 14 hours. Um, it was, I, it, granted, 22 years in military, in the infantry, and I was sore for two days after that event. I could not believe how tired I was from waving cars through a, a queue would make you after 14 hours. Well, that's, that's a pretty interesting idea of what Team Rubicon is capable of doing now. Um, Team Rubicon is um, here with us at the SoCal Military News and Views podcast because the Veterans Association in North County is an association. There are a number of different veterans service organizations across North County, San Diego, where we are helping people in the community for a variety of different reasons. If you're in the North County, San Diego community, uh, whether you're a veteran or as Team Rubicon likes to say, a kick-ass civilian, uh, how do you get involved? How do you, should we just do what Lorena said and, and go to teamrubiconusa.org or how do, you, uh, how do you get involved? That's probably the easiest way is to uh actually look it up online but the other thing about team rubicon as an inclusive organization anybody can be part of us mm -hmm. if you have that sense of service if you're looking for community uh, we used to say it's veteran led veteran based but that's not so much the case any longer the some of the best people we have are you know, youth and ability is overcome by age and deception. <laughs> so it's nice to have that younger cadre in there because chainsaws get heavy and and the like. So if you want to be part of something great, I, I suggest everybody at least take a look at it. It's not for everybody. We have a role for everyone, but it's not for everybody. That I understand. And I, I think there's, there's plenty of places if it's not tearing out drywall and, and you know, helping to dry out a a house in a mucking operation or using a chainsaw, we certainly have um, responsibilities for uh, command and general staff, right, Kevin? Yes. Um, we actually sub that out, uh, so to speak. Uh, during COVID, we actually sent some of our uh, disaster leadership uh, to emergency operations centers. Uh, San Bernardino requested additional help. Uh, El Segundo uh, out of LA County uh, requested additional help. So we take the leadership that the type A personalities that a lot of the, our members are and their experience and the leadership uh, and the education that they've developed through being a member in Team Rubicon where they can actually go outside of the organization and help lead in uh, disasters with any organization. I think anybody who might be considering getting involved with Team Rubicon should understand about the culture. And if there was one thing that I think is important about any 501c3 
and its culture, um, it's the cultural principle that mom's a donor. Can you share the what mom's a donor means and, and how people should uh, should take that idea? Yeah, mom's a donor. Uh, we we have to be responsible because we are based on volunteer dollars. Everything we do is out of the generosity of someone else because everybody wants to do something that we we find and if. Like my mom, who does $5 a month to Team Rubicon, my mother actually is a donor. Mm -hmm. So we have maintenance programs. We have to have respect for our gear, just like we did in the service. Uh, we solely use steel chainsaws in Team Rubicon because it's a very well-engineered chainsaw. It's easy to maintain. And that saw can last you forever. And by doing things like that, being respectful of our donor dollars, buying equipment, using equipment that's basically top end so it endures, that's one of the aspects of Mom's a Donor. It also goes into the feed and care of Team Rubicon where the stipends we get for feeding gray shirts on operations, donations management, that piece of it, uh, we don't do things on the cheap, but we just be fiscal responsible for, you know, still feeding you well, still giving you a safe place to sleep, you know, shower facilities, all that stuff costs when you go on disaster operations. Mm -hmm. And I think we do it really well. If, um, if you look at the relationship that Team Rubicon and uh, Vance has right now, Kevin, uh, how would you describe that relationship? I think it's a solid relationship. It's um, coming off of what James was saying. You know, we were veteran-led, uh, veteran-based organization, and in California, we we're about forty-seven percent veteran, and mostly because if you're a retired veteran or if you get out of the service, it's it's expensive to live here, yeah. and uh, a lot of people move. They've been exposed. Even if you came from California, you've been exposed to new things being in the military. So you may move to one of those other states, or you just don't come back. Mm -hmm. So um, our relationship um, with uh, North County, with the Veterans Association, is it keeps us grounded um, and and working with other veteran organizations, and it's very valuable to sustaining our culture. So on our first Monday meetings at, here at Vance, we have the opportunity for organizations to come in and present. And we've presented Team Rubicon in the past, but that's something we should think about doing again, making sure that people know what's going on here. Um, I certainly think that the, um, the fact that uh, as part of the association, we're using classrooms here and we're being in a position where we can train gray shirts before they go off on deployment. We've got a lot of things. And, and I think that there's a great synergy here. So I guess... More than anything else, what I'd like to say to uh, both of you and, and to those of us, uh, to those that are listening, uh, thank you to Team Rubicon for being a part of the Veterans Association and helping us support the North County San Diego community. Oh, we're glad to be partners. Thanks, guys. <laughs>